Don't shoot the deputies. Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Now, today's episode is a particularly exciting milestone for us, isn't it, Steve? It is indeed, Russell. Today marks our 50th episode of Don't Shoot the Deputies. So before we introduce today's guest, we just want to say a massive thank you to all of you who have supported us over the past few years. We really appreciate every listener and it makes us so grateful when people tell us they've shared our podcast with colleagues and with friends. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody. And we promise to keep delivering you wonderful episodes with inspiring guests. Now, back in February, we recorded an episode about gender equality with Graham Andre. Now, just in case you've forgotten, Graham is a teacher based on the Isle of Wight who featured in the 2017 BBC documentary, No More Boys and Girls, Can Kids Go Gender Free? In that podcast episode, we reflected on what Graham learned from that experience and how it shaped his views about gender equality in schools. We really love chatting to you, Graham, and it's such a pleasure to have you back with us today. Am I right in saying that we're almost four years to the day since that documentary came out? Yeah, absolutely. It's four years on on Monday. So, yeah, it's 17th of August. I think 16th, 16th, 17th, around there anyway, that it was at first aired. So, yeah, can't believe it. Incredible. Perfect time to have another conversation, isn't it? And it is great to talk to you today again, Bram. In that episode, you mentioned that you went on to connect with Kat Wildman and Nick Ponsford, who founded the Gender Equality Collective, now called the Global Equality Collective. And Russell, we're pleased to say that Nick has also joined us today for part two of our gender equality conversation. We are indeed, Steve. Now, I've heard Nick speak a few times and what an inspirational, thoughtful and passionate person she is. Nick is a mum of three and an award-winning digital education specialist. Nick has taught new technologies in the education sector from early years to adults since the start of the century. Her work today is based on supporting educational settings to become inclusive and digitally literate. Nick, what a treat it is to speak to you and a warm welcome to our podcast. Wow, what an intro and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I can't believe it, Nick, can you? I can't believe we're on the 50th episode. I feel quite honoured by that, don't you? I do, I do. I feel like... I don't know. I'm just so excited to be here. So excited. And to have 50, would it be 50 hours? You've had 50 hours. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, maybe a touch more. Wow. So you look excited, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited. I'm I'm a little bit in awe of everyone here. So um, I'm trying to be on my best behaviour. That will change, though, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it will. All right. So, Nick, um, please could you give our listeners an insight into how you connected with Graham after the two 2017 documentary and with us now being around four years down the line could you also give us a sense of how much things have moved on since when it first came to light of gender equality in schools i would love to so the amazing program came on and graham bounced into my living room and i was immediately inspired with what he was doing Um, and i was on twitter at the time i had been for a little bit my work at the time i was actually working for an educational charity at that point having had left the classroom because I could do flexible working so I was doing lots of different things with lots of freelance roles around education uh, because once a teacher always a teacher and um, Achievement for All is a charity that looks to bring up the least attaining 20% of students and a lot of that is based around changing teachers attitudes to underprivileged under-resourced students and, and sort of families so I was kind of doing that at the same time I'd started to get a little bit involved with women ed, though I'd not been a head teacher myself, I was an advanced skills teacher. And I was just starting to be asked about 
you know, where were the women in technology? It was the year of coding, 2017. And I was starting to be pulled in around gender equality, around those kinds of dynamics, around inclusion. So I suppose the start of intersectionality being really appreciated and um, around gender equality. And lovely Graham invited me into a Twitter group uh, that he had created with many people that he knew that were out there, which I was absolutely thrilled to be part of it. And he'd also brought in uh, <laughs> my creative soulmate, Kat Wildman, who's now uh, my co-founder of the GEC with me. And, and that's, that's kind of how we sort of all started talking. And I suppose the short version was in that chat, there were really inspirational people there. But the conversation went the way gender equality often does, where the facts are talked about and it's all awful and, you know, it's never going to change. And, oh, no, it's so terrible. And I just thought, hang on a minute, you know, surely, surely we can do something. Why is it so complicated? Why can't we do something? And I felt Kat was a kindred spirit. Um, and then we got together, put our heads together. And then that first call started talking about the links between business because she was director of digital product at The Telegraph at the time. So she's not in education, she's business. Um, and I was talking about the issues around leadership um, in education. And we came up with this idea that actually to drive change for gender equality, we need to look at homes, schools and businesses all together. And what we realised was that no one was doing this. There was no centralised hub for it because it's too mad and crazy. Like who's going to want to take on everything with it? Um, and <laughs> In that way, as you do as a teacher, when you offer to your deputy head that you'll have a look at a new subject and they give it to you, <laughs> that responsibility, that kind of seemed to happen to us. Um, and so that's what we've been doing ever since. So I always say the GC is completely Graham's fault for getting Kat and I together and given us a driving purpose to do something to change it. But actually, you, the, like, the GEC's really developed because it started off with just gender, didn't it? Yeah, well, we, what we started to do, we started to look around the issues and realise that actually it, it isn't just gender there's always kind of intersections you know my background you know the council state background which comes in when I'm tired or had a bit of a glass of wine in the evenings um but what you know the issues that I'd faced weren't just because I was a female it was because of my background my socioeconomic status and but we knew that at the time if you want to get into socioeconomic status actually people would find gender more accessible and although we always were going to go for this kind of global, because we wanted to go beyond just gender equality, we felt we'd start with it. And we knew GEC, gender and global, both start with a G. <laughs> Forward planning. So we, oh no, exactly. So we started with gender and really used that to build our model. So we, we you know, people say I collect activists now, which, um, so we went out to learn from the best people out there, like Graham, who was doing this and all those different lived experiences. So, you know, the experiences and, and that a, a, you have cradle to retirement are so different when it comes to gender equality, where you are in the country, what your background is, what the lived experiences around you. And so that's what we did. We knew we could just go to one person and, and get their opinion. We had to go to loads of different ones because for men and women, it's different when it comes to gender equality, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what we did. And we built our model by doing that around gender. And then we, mirrored that as we kept on going over the since meeting graham um so we now the gec now covers all the nine characteristics of the equalities acts plus socioeconomic status and single parents rights which isn't in the equality act 2010 yet awesome what an incredible thing you've you've created and i, I love the story about just the catalyst of it's just life's funny isn't it of how things just come together at a certain time and i bet you wouldn't have 
imagined where it'd be in just a you know four years and you know i was perusing your website this morning just looking at all the different things you've you've produced and all the people you've got involved wow what a what a thing it is and what a thing it's going to keep being so yeah congratulations on that now in part one when when we first started talking about gender equality we focused on a few different aspects that were particularly pertinent to the documentary and kind of what we loved about it was we were seeing everything through the eyes of this teacher that was just cracking on and trying to do the daily job that we were all trying to do and we thought about gendered terms of endearment didn't we Graham mate yes we did love uh we also chatted about supporting children uh with kind of particularly boys around the emotional literacy stuff and that was something that Graham reflected was actually one of the one of the hardest things to really shift forward we talked about how children develop very fixed ideas about gender from I think you said around six or seven Graham so we want to we'll probably pick up on some of that again but we also want to shift this conversation on and explore a few other aspects of gender equality Nick since technology is a particular passion for yours I'd love to open up a conversation about children and and adults attitudes to sort of different curriculum areas and particularly Mm. STEM subjects Mm. do people still have fixed attitudes about subjects that are supposedly for boys and for girls and if so what can schools do to change the narrative around this wow yeah they really do they really do so um, I have I mean I've spoken to the DfE about it on several times I've um, I go to quite a lot of events where I get asked about it and it's really interesting. I mean, I've spoken to university professors of AI who are trying to recruit more girls in and they will say, well, you know, we're going to put sort of fashion on the prospectus and that will that work? And it might work for some, but actually, you know, the research that I've been doing this and I started my doctorate kind of looking at this in the, in the first place was, and as Graham, I'm sure will tell you, it, it kind of, it gets too late when you get into that stage. This is about when we go back to sort of early years and to primary school and we start to enforce those messages that you can be what you want and you can, you can have what you kind of want. You know, everyone's different. Um, I started my own science experiment. So I've got five-year-old girl boy twins, which oh. I, you know, I did completely for the GC. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, uh, and what I've realized as a parent as well is, people will pick out much like in uh, no more boys and girls where the the toddlers the clothes are changed and then the, mm. the adults come in and impose which toys they pick up that they think will be more relevant to the children people do look out for that so my my son is very kind and caring and he, he's the one who carries his soft toys around and you know he looked after that this morning put lullabies on Alexa so he could put them all to sleep and that's all lovely whereas my daughter will do a, a warrior cry and then run at the trampoline at full force and you can look at those things and you can kind of ignore because she will do drawing and she will do that but I find that teachers and parents can kind of pick out what they think is right and so, so all those skills so when it comes to those kind of problem problem solving skills that you need to do coding or those um, being quite resilient to trying things out in the sandpit that is technology, you need to have all those skills early on. And I think one of the things that get, kind of get missed, it gets kind of bolted on to when you get to year nine or, you know, let's get all the girls to do an extra computing science, for example it's too late because they haven't got that kind of way of thinking all those skills from you know that first that first inkling I would say so uh, there's one of the there's one of the ways we try to sort of create new messages with gender equality when it comes to the subjects that it it shouldn't matter which you are but there are still problems in schools you know we uh, you know speak to students who say you know, I went to the the talk on technology and I got told to go down to the hairdressing one by the teachers, you know, so 
there are a lot of teachers still to blame in this as much as there are parents, um, which is really sad. Nick, I did a, before lockdown, I did a code club. It was part of an initiative. I can't remember who started it. I got an email through and I had basically, it was almost 50-50 split of boys and girls in the club. Uh, There's about 16, 17 children. And I found actually the girls were better at coding because when it came to things like debugging, they would stick at it and have a go at it and get it finished. Whereas the boys, as they sometimes do, they came up against a problem, they couldn't solve it and they gave up. Yeah, that that patience as well. I mean, they do with technology, you find that um, it's normally gender equal until they go into like year seven and year eight. And then the dropout rate happens. So if you look at stuff by um, the British Computing Society, you start to see those levels kind of change. Um, I do think there's issues as well with that that year of coding back in 2017. I think even calling it computer science is the wrong terminology for a subject to attract girls in where computing and science aren't normally seen as the cool things. And I mean, a lot of the work that I've done recently, I might be going off topic a bit here, it's been around looking at how female teachers can show that they are more confident. And I think with the lockdown that we've had, there are still these issues with a lot of female teachers who will say, I'm not very techie, but I mean, how much more techie do you want to be after what we've just all experienced? And the girls will see that as another woman being computer literate and they will think that they can do it and they can play and it's okay to make mistakes so all of those kinds of messages that we give our girls and schools can help close those gaps but they're still there um and you look at the sign up rates for GCSEs and then going on to A levels and then to university there's a massive drop off when it comes to getting keeping girls in it um and it's and it's important because society is changing and the automation of jobs means a lot of admin roles would change which are normally female so, you know, the technology will be needed more and there'll be gaps to be filled. Um, so it is really important that we attract as many people from diverse backgrounds and not just gender equality in terms of, you know, different different races and backgrounds um, mm. into technology because it's crucial. Don't you find it's a real issue, though, Nick, that, that parents, parents' views on mm. subjects... So you'll get lots of mums that will say to their daughters or their, or their sons, oh, maths, I didn't do maths, mm. I couldn't do maths. And you'd also get the switch where you'll say that, you know, dads will say, oh, no, literacy wasn't my thing. I really enjoyed maths and using numbers and things like that. I think that has a real big impact on our children and the way they they look at, at some subjects. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. And I know, Graham, we've discussed before the literacy, gender literacy gaps yeah. sort of since the 1960s because you did the research into that. And there's that massive drop off that, you know, a lot of the dads all say, you know, writing's not my thing. I was much better at maths and sport. And and then we get a drop off then in the arts and the performance arts in particular when it comes to to gender. So and, and you know, there shouldn't be any gap, really, that, you know, we have chefs and we have artists and we have. So and, and now more than ever, where you have a portfolio of careers you know, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think it, we, we, it needs to really be opened. The whole, um, I don't know if you remember when you were at school, we, you do a test where you pick your careers. Mm. I had to look into it. And even that, they, they wrote that with male-female job bias in the really? first, yeah. So even going into it and saying what kind of, like they put all the caring jobs as being female-based roles and they put all the kind of hard, clever jobs as being male roles and leadership roles. So even going into that, 
you will come out with a bias because there was bias in the um, first instance that being made. So, and I think that set a lot of us up for what we feel job should be today. Can I just pick up on something you both sort of uh, touched on there around role models? Because I think that's so important. You know, I've, this this school I'm at now is the first school I've worked at. It's my fourth school where there's been a female PE subject lead who loves sports and and is such a driver for sport and the most effective PE lead I've ever worked on. No, no disrespect to any other brilliant PE leads I've worked with, but so passionate about that. And what it's done for girls in sports in my school is incredible. Um, so I just kind of want to shout about that really and its importance because I think that's what you were saying it's that whole you can't be what you can't see thing isn't it and equally at the home I've got two daughters eight and ten and um, my wife in the last few years has really become quite passionate about fitness and looking after her health and and she goes for runs and my eldest goes out with her and they did a 5k this morning she's only 10 and I was like I'm just so kind of proud on behalf of I don't mean that to sound patronising. I'm sorry if it does, but that my wife set such a good role model for her and that she sees that as really important yeah. to be strong and healthy and fit. Um, and then that, and then that made me think about the Olympics that's just gone by and how, um, you know, you had those um, female Olympic boxer, gold-winning gold boxer talking about how she was inspired by Nicola Adams, those, you know, a few years ago in 2012 at the London Olympics. I just think that it's really easy to underestimate how important it is just to see something that you can work towards. That is, it is. I was talking to someone yesterday even and they were sort of saying, you know, I remember having one black teacher and I was thinking, I can't admit, I just had white teachers, yeah. you know, I had more female, but I didn't. And, and it is important. And I think I like to go beyond the see it to be it. I, I think mm. kids need to be, no, they can be pioneers, that they can be the first. They don't right. have to see someone else, although it, although it is also good. But the role was good, particularly about girls being strong. So I've just finished reading Porna Bell Stronger, which is brilliant and there's a lightning bolt on the front which means of course I love it and in that she's talking about it and it's really made me think about how we message uh, PE and physical activity as movement to to girls in particular who normally do the drop-off and actually with again with lockdown the fact that kids haven't had to get changed into PE kits at school has meant a lot more kids have enjoyed going in particularly when girls start to get worry when puberty kicks in that they're getting changed in front of even other girls they don't like it and, and the boys are saying um, and I think there's some real things we can do to make our subjects feel safer and feel that kids feel that they can be authentic and can take risks and take those opportunities that we still don't kick in across the board consistently. Would you agree, Graham? Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, it's funny, actually, you're talking about lockdown and things there. Do you think that's had an impact on equality, gender? And well, it doesn't have to be just gender, but anything, mm. actually, with home learning and things like that. Do you think it's been more accessible to some children than it has others? Yeah, I do. I, th- I think there are things around, if you take a kind of a gender filter on it, a lot of it has meant different types of concentration. So that has, I think, surprised some teachers where some girls or some boys have been more into that learning at home than they would in the classroom. I think that socialisation, which I think a lot of teachers feel a class of 30, they all really enjoy. I know talking to, you know, I, I just did work for the EdTech Demonstrator for a year over the lockdown. So I had this amazing view of primary and secondary schools all going, going through it. Um, and there'd be, a, you know, neurodiverse students, for example, who just couldn't cope with the fact that they, they couldn't do that online learning. It just didn't make sense. And so they went into school and as with the vulnerable kids, smaller classrooms, much quieter, more teacher attention time. 
thrived did not want the rest of the class to come back um right. i think there's the issues around staff with, with flexible working and looking at how people work collaboratively more online not going to all these old meetings where you're talked at you know so i think lockdown has helped around productivity and flexibility i'm not sure the lessons learned are being used at the moment i i, I kind of feel everyone's been keeps rolling keeps rolling and there's still not quite enough time for reflection as there should be but I think it really has had a knock on effect and it's made us question our connectivity with each other as well. If you want to go really deep and heavy um, of how we do connect and how we respect one another as well. Mm. So Nick, um, when we reflected with Graham on the BBC documentary, we were obviously learning a lot about Graham's perspective as a male teacher in a primary school setting. But from your perspective, what other issues related to gender are facing young people in schools today that perhaps weren't explored specifically within the documentary at the time. And what role can the Global Equality Collective therefore play in supporting schools with them? We've got a couple of things that we're working on at the moment. So, for example, again, looking at the boys and literacy, it was one of those things that I think there's been a lot of work done on women in STEM. Um, in fact, there's so much, it's sometimes hard to know where to go. But this, this issue that we've got with boys and literacy, and I was um, an English teacher uh, for 10 years and, and an English AST as well as media and and kept seeing it and kept un- seeing that lack of confidence in the boys, hearing about their experiences as they've kind of gone through. And one of the things we do with the collective is we can bring all these different incredible subject matter experts. So it was for a conversation with Ruth Swalis, um, an early years legend, and she, uh, for her MA, had been looking at the ossification of bones um, in girls and boys. Only difference in gender that I found, I don't know if you found any more, Graham, but that's the only thing, like brain development, muscle development, it's all the same until puberty hits, yeah. But it's this, and it's so well known that local authorities will use it for refugee children. So they will use it to work out how old the kids are. So it's not new. So boys develop slightly later and it's hands, elbows and shoulders, which are all those motor skills and those writing skills. And again, my science experiment shows with my boy who's got a kind of a wider hand where the, where uh, my daughter has got slightly finer fingers where the bones have been brought together. So if you see any early years or key stage ones, grab their hands and have a little look at their bones, <laughs> says, says Nick the witch. And you can see that kind of difference. And what it means, I think it's around seven. It all kind of ties in. So the boys level up with the girls, which I found really interesting because I think, you know, you get then a lot of those those key stage teachers saying, well, now they've learned to write. Like, why do boys all suddenly learn to write at the same time? Well, that's why it's science. But what happens is that child development's being ignored and the boys bit pinchy finger, pinchy finger, pencil grip, pencil grip, when they can't actually really do it. And I think that's really interesting because once you then speak to primary and early years teachers and they don't know, they then know it, they start to build that into their teaching and the boys can then do things that they feel more confident about. So those kinds of things we're bringing together. We've got um, uh, a page on, uh, on our website called Boys Retreat Under Education and we're putting in all those different ideas and we're going to put in some webinars out for free out there to sort of share that. So that's one of the things that I found in there. I think another gender equality issue we've got in schools, which would um, seem very much in the secondary, is a fallout after the review of sexual harassment and abuse. And I think the slow start with the RSE curriculum because of lockdown has meant now we're seeing quite a lot of jars around how schools put that on 
how schools engage with maybe say um, different communities like Muslim community that mm. might want to opt out of LGBT plus education you know and they're like what do we do how do we make them do it don't you don't is the answer to that and so all those kinds of tensions are starting to come out now more so that might be an area that I think is is quite big we're doing more work around it we actually did an open letter to Amanda Spielman of Ofsted to offer our help and we've got more work kind of coming out that we're doing in that space because I think that's a toughie because it brings in social media law it brings in the RSE curriculum it brings in teachers attitudes and all that sort of thing Graham's nodding wildly as well so yeah I am I just I just think especially with social media Nick a, a lot of parents and I'm not a parent myself so I don't really know but a lot of parents will basically give their children an iPad or a, a phone or and, and leave them to it because it will keep them quiet, but they don't actually know what they're doing on there. And quite a lot of the time, what they can be doing can be quite dangerous. And I think that in the last couple of years has really risen. We've seen so many, so many cases of children that have got themselves into trouble, um, at pri- even at primary school level, because they are using, you know, the likes of TikTok and and they're not using it right. And parents and then parents are really shocked and they don't know what's going on. And they, they say, well, we know we keep an eye on it, but obviously it's difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult. It's not like us <laughs> back in the day where we used to go down a phone box and put 50p in the yeah. meat and that. It's, hey, Postman's Knock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, the, all those um, uh, lovely educational games you used to play, playing down the wreck and in the car park exactly, in, yeah. in the early it's, 80s. It's awful. Um, no, it's not. And, I, you know, that where the technology comes in, I know that what one side of it is where people are maybe more au fait and use you know google and they do a family account and they can lock in what their kids do and they know what they're doing i was brought into a twitter chat on it a couple of days ago actually but actually in school we're not doing that and there's still this you know the internet wasn't designed for children essentially Mm. so but you know and we'll be really careful when they cross the road and we're really careful you know we won't let them go to the shops on their own until they're a certain age but you know people will hand over the internet and all the badness that's in it and, and expect kids to know it because they're Gen Z digital narratives, natives. And they're not. They're kids being allowed to fall free fall through the internet, which is not a nice place, you know, for everyone. And I think we're at this point where we're still a little bit in the sweet shop of, of the internet. And I think it will change. I think we will look back on this time and go, oh my, you know, why yeah. do we ever just let them run free? Like it's crazy. I think, um, I mean, Russell, he mentioned, you know, you mentioned role models and, and actually I've looked at TikTok and you look at YouTube and you look at some of these YouTube bloggers and you look at some of the like, big names on TikTok that the kids follow. A lot of it's really quite sexual stuff. Mm. You know, some of these crazies that go around that, that some young girls are exposed to young boys as well yeah. uh, are just they're just crazy it's it's mad i've got my um sister down to stay at the moment and she's got two boys and i've got two girls and we were having a chat at like 11 last night about sex ed in schools and she was sort of quizzing me and my wife about it because my wife's a teacher as well and 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 we were talking about how one of the aims of the the new rse stuff is to talk more about that other stuff you know relationships emotions you know the wider context of stuff that we don't talk about very often but i think you're right gray we children are getting so many um attitudes they're absorbing so many attitudes and certain language gender related language from the role models they've got online and you know i I know that there's been a lot of parents that have been very shocked when they hear for example the aggressive language their boys use when they play computer games but a lot of those boys are watching youtube 
videos of their role models playing games while using the most horrendous language yeah. um so that that that's becoming that's becoming normal isn't it that's, mm. that's becoming their culture i don't know what you think it, it is but also like i also think like if you remember that sort of 80s 90s the rap and the the words that were used yeah. then when we were younger there is a similarity i think that kind of comes in and also there's that kind of I mean, I'm, I was saying about sort of sexual uh, harassment and abuse. What we're trying to do at GEC is show both sides. Yeah. So, yes, we want to look at consent. We've, again, on the website, we've got a whole free thing for parents, but it's great for teachers that, you know, we start with Pantasaurus and we go all the way through with books and things. But as well as showing consent, we've got to show pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to show the kind of the different sides of it. And I think that's a space like diversity and inclusion that kind of goes beyond the contract of being a teacher because there's your own personal thoughts and beliefs and as a as a profession we all differ with what our lived experience is when it comes to to, to sex oh my god i can't believe i'm saying this uh happy 15th anniversary gang um but we all have those no, weird. we all have those different experiences and our own views on it and that filters then into our attitudes and how we teach your kids mm-hmm. and so we work with organizations like bold voices um open sex ed you know incredible they go into schools they work with parents amazing amazing you know they know everything they they're teaching me still but we don't kind of i don't i don't think we've got a real grasp of how we have those conversations unless we've had that full training it's really interesting my sister literally asked me the question do you tell kids that it's meant to it's meant to be a good like it's meant to be nice (laughs) and it was like yes that is there now and and but actually you're right that's such a it sounds like a subtle shift, but that's a huge leap from just talking about something as a biological experience where you're you're sort of portrayed as a recipient in a few diagrams. You know, it, yeah. it's a very different way of looking at things. Did you see that there was something on Twitter the other about, about about making porn for kids? Did you see that? Yeah, that came up as there was a suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> that we start to make porn for children underage start making sexually explicit material for underage yeah that i think it was fairly uh quickly decided it was the most ludicrous uh, question it is, yeah. it, is, <laughs> it is and i think that that's been the issue a lot obviously like with what we've got now is that we we have pornography that isn't top shelf in brown paper bags anymore we have it that is in that free falling experience and with it it there's you can find anything so the the production of pornography has got harder and more graphic because it's out there to shock and it's so immediate and it's you know they're trying to do it in shorter time frames and all those kinds of things the teaching profession don't really understand the legislation around those sorts of things so there there's a bit of confusion and also that pornography is like you, you imagine the worst kind of things you can get. And that's normally the things that kids would like to like. They'd like, you know, you listen to the, the sweariest, sweariest rap. You want the most violent video games and the most hardcore pornography. Um, and there was a program, I don't know if you remember, where someone, um, a, a lady came in doing a lot of the sort of Dutch work, uh, went into a school and, you know, the boys had to shave themselves like the, they expected the girls to from watching um, pornography and things like that. And they started to understand what they were asking was ridiculous. And and this is not what people look like. And I think there's that kind of exploration, which isn't necessarily always going on at home. There's a real tension of whose responsibility it is. But what is happening is the kids are learning from themselves in, you know, retina scarring mm. ways. Um 
and and you know uh, they do need guidance and they do need help but i think it is quite new ground for us all really still as yeah. well it's hard and I, it's one of the i don't know it's strange and it's it's probably one of my favorite things to teach mm. actually sre because you can get some really good conversations going with the kids and they're understanding actually there's some they've got some quite mature thoughts about about sex and uh, mm. but uh yeah, I love it. I just love hearing all their different names for the different body parts <laughs> and writing them up on a board. It's the only time I get to do that sort of thing. Learn, learn something new every year, hey. <laughs> but they, you're right, you know, that they, they once find that out from somewhere, don't they? I, um, I remember when Steve and I worked together many years ago, um, you know, we used to lend iPads out to kids in the <laughs> in year six in the Easter Easter break to do a bit of extra SATS revision if they wanted to. And sort of months later, we, we just, or weeks later, we discovered through an internet history that popped up that a, a child had searched something rather inappropriate during that time. And because of who borrowed which iPad, we could track it back. And I remember having such a powerful conversation with a young man that wasn't judgmental because it was actually he just wasn't in an environment where it was safe to have those conversations at home so of course he wanted to find out from somewhere and it just happened to be that we we gave him a tool yeah uh, inquisitive nature yeah met our ipad didn't it yeah. that's it because because kids will learn about these things i yep. think and i learned a lot from Lindsay dixon <laughs> when i was younger and i'm not sure she, everything she said was right she's like she, she's an old lady like me now so it's fine yeah. but it's <laughs> You know, I, I kind of think there's a little bit we, we forget what it is like to be kids and, you know, and, and things are different. Sexuality is different. Legal, you know, legal status. And, you know, some people still don't really understand trans identity, let alone yeah. anything else. And they're like, oh, my, I need to know everything. And it's you don't. There are experts out there. You need to know where to go to find them. So, again, that's what we try to help with the GC. We all had something, didn't we? It was a Karma Sutra book, you know, it was hidden away in your your parents bedroom somewhere or there was the joyous sex video that came out do you remember that one that was quite groundbreaking so, that's it yeah it's something yeah and they, they're gonna find out with sweaty fondlings and all that like everyone else did but i think there's an edge now with social media and mm. the fact that they yeah. all walk around with essentially cameras um, and they don't know the law and so what what i try to do when it has come to this topic is um, we've got Dr. Holly Powell Jones in the collective, who's amazing, and she's an online social media lawyer. And so she helps. And I think once teachers and students understand the law, they you have to think twice about how you're using these devices and, and what you're doing. And again, I think it's that kind of a proper education and all these things. Mm. Um, and then they really have the choice if they're going to do it or not, because they know what the consequences are. Great. Now, in the in the last part of the conversation, I'd like to talk a bit more about kind of staff in workplaces like school and gender. But before I do that, one thing I did want to pick up with you, Nick, that I was curious about your viewpoint on was that after episode one with Gray, I had a couple of colleagues come to me about the gender terms, the endearment um, terms. And it was really interesting because we had some great discussions about how different perspectives were as men and women. So we talked with Gray about how perhaps unconsciously as men in primary schools, some of those gender terms came as a result of feeling stupidly but feeling like we almost had to soften ourselves for the girls so okay. we'd use those lovelies and pockets sure. but with the boys we, we we wanted to build that kind of trusting buddy rapport mm -hmm. whereas some of my female colleagues said well I didn't I don't really relate to that problem so much so I don't I do use terms of endearment but for me I use the same so I'm in Devon lovely is your common one you know boys and girls whatever are called lovely by female members of staff a lot 
Is there a problem with that? Does it matter if those terms are applied uh, to everyone or not? I'm just curious. So I was a secondary school teacher and I worked in quite deprived school. So like lowest key stage two results in the country coming into secondary school type catchments. And I would do what you would do, like with my, you know, whole class of just boys. Come on, mate. Come on. You know, I'd, that would yeah. be me. And a bit my background as well. You know, that's that's kind of how I, I talk my kids, mate, sometimes. But I also call them yeah. all pop it. What, as a GEC, we would normally say to people is, is ask if people are happy with that. And so one of the things that you can do in your school is work on a list of terms that everyone thinks are fine. You know, I think I think it is a bit about being flexible because I know of, you know, dependent on your own background and where you're from in the country to call someone darling, you call everyone darling or love. That's just, you know, that's just what you do in your community to show affection, whereas love can then be gendered with other people in other bits. So I think there's a little bit of just a bit of a time out and just actually what what's being said here and what what could that mean? And. And why do I feel I need to use those terms if I'm doing it for a reason? And like you said, and that how I used to do it, I would do it to build a rapport. It didn't offend anyone. That was fine. I don't like being called love if it's done from another member of staff in a kind of put down way, mm. because that is meant to be offensive. That is meant to put me in my place. So I, I think there's a little bit of just a little bit of balance and maybe just a conversation around it can always help. That seems like a very sensible reflection, Nick. Gray, what are your views coming back to that one? Because that was such a focus of the documentary. Yeah, I know. And it, it's it's really strange. I think I said to you at the time, you know, I, it was something that I thought I could never stop doing. But actually, uh, I don't even think about it now. I'll try and use names yeah. if I can. If not, <laughs> in your mind. Them another name. <laughs> <laughs> They're all called whatever your name is. Bob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's finish the conversation by exploring this idea about the workplace more generally, because we didn't we didn't go there at all, did we, before? Um I mean, we know they exist. I'm not going to ask, do they exist? We know they exist in the workplace and they do exist in education. But Nick, could you give us a bit of a sense of what some of the biggies are in terms of gender equality issues with staff in schools? And you mentioned flexible work, and I suspect that that will come up as well there. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. So we, slight plug, we've got a GC app. And part of that is it goes through an assessment as an organisation, but then it captures all the viewpoints of the staff. And so uh, we launched that in January. And what's been really interesting is speaking to the schools that have now applied it of what that's meant to them. And what they've said to us is brought out things like in a school, the men were going more for the subject lead roles and the women were going for the pastoral because that's that's what they thought they were meant to do in those genders. Whereas actually the school could show them that those numbers were complete nonsense and that wasn't the case. But they were really, really surprised. The school that did a lot around gender equality, that those viewpoints still happened. There were also things around flexible working. And actually, we had one school that I think is a case study for the Chartered College of Teaching and Flexible Working. And when they did it out to the school, the staff, I think about you know, a, a larger percentage than they would probably like me to say, said that they were going to leave because there wasn't flexible working because it hadn't been communicated. Mm. And I think when it comes to these, there are issues that we have around flexible work and gender equality where schools don't know the whole picture of what's being said across the board. And that's where steps can kind of be missed. So you don't understand what positions you can go for. You don't understand how you can play around with flexible working and what that looks like. And actually what 
you know, beyond a job share, phased retirement, all those kinds of things that can kind of be brought in. Um, I think something that's come in that's really big is, is menopause and an understanding more about menopause, particularly with the age range of women and the knock-on effect that can have. I think quite a lot is being done around paternity and maternity, which is great because obviously it's, it's great to see young uh, male head teachers, for example, starting to lead and show the rest of their male members the stuff that they can do. It's great to see more women taking on leadership roles where they can do that in a part-time role or, or come in and retain jobs for either gender. I feel we're still at that tipping point. Um, we are partnered with one of the DfE Flexible Working Ambassador Schools. It's a shame that that wasn't rolled out more, but I, I, I don't think the DfE are, are going to be pushing all of that forward, really. I think it is for individual organisations to do, which is why we do the work of a GEC, so people can do that themselves. So, yeah, recruitment and retention, massive issue, uh, particularly, I think, as people come out of lockdown, I think the TES at one point had 12 pages of head teacher jobs. And I think we, we really seriously have to look at recruitment and retention and not just curriculum staff, but actually our business leaders as well. We at the GC evolved in that side. We're partnered with the Institute of School Business Leaders and they're facing the same things. They want to get more gender equality and diversity inclusion into those parts of our school communities, yeah. which often get kind of uh, dropped out of Twitter chats. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. But I think once the attention is turned on it and people have the the tools and the skills and obviously science for GC app, you know, I think we'll start to see that a bit more. Ray, is there anything you want to come in on there that you've observed? Yeah, do you know what? I, yeah, I, I, I do actually. I was thinking, you know, it's been four years, four years Monday since the, the documentary. And uh, I expected, or maybe, you know, I, it was a bit of a, a pie in the sky expectation, but four years later, I expected all schools yeah. to have gender equality champions within their school I expected you know I expected to be a nationwide thing I expected the DfE to pick up on it and and make something of it but I'm frustrated because I feel that's really not really happened there's been little pockets of people brilliant people like Nick that have have got something and they're running with it and they're trying to trying to make a difference but I feel it it's sort of like a drop in the ocean really what do you think Nick uh, Am I just being pessimistic? Yeah, or? but it's easy. It is easy to get downhearted with it when it's something. Gender equality is so important in education across the board. You know, it affects the career path, which affects our national economy, and 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 you know the research and data is there. It affects how we all feel turning up to those school buildings every day. For for me, as as a teacher going in and experiencing you know pregnancy and not being wanted to tell anyone what people would think about going for new head teacher roles you know um, um, leadership roles um, for how I presented myself in front of my students how my students felt coming in with all the things they were kind it is massive and it unlocks our productivity I mean I I loved working in school I you know I had the best time I loved being a teacher but when I had my first son who had needs flexible working wasn't an offer and I had to come out of the system mm. and I just think mm. we are creating barriers in education and we're not keeping people and we're not allowing people to be as productive as they can be because of traditions and what we haven't encountered and we just need a bit of rebellion for it for it to kind of evolve a bit more and I see the way that the teaching profession embraced might be the wrong word but had to get on with lockdown and covid and see the fire we've got in our bellies and it just would be nice if it turned slightly gray and and did more around equality i'm 
completely with you on that. But I, we could do it if we wanted to. And I think there's many people who are change makers who are starting to do it. Um, and, and, and people kind of start to think maybe they should look at it. Um, and they're the people that I'm also interested in, those who are slightly curious, yeah. who don't know where to start. And I think, as you say, the DfE haven't picked it up. But they don't have to. We're, we all know it's the right thing to do. Uh, we know it's the right side of history. So it's up to all of us. Call to arms. Equality, and you mentioned there, equality. It's not just gender equality, is it? It's equality across the board. And it's just massive, isn't it? And if you start to say to schools, look, do you know what? We need to start looking at equality as well as everything else that schools need to do. It almost seems impossible, doesn't it? Well, but that's it. Yeah, but that's it. And that's what we've been trying to do. Like I call it the Kaplunk model that we we did that. We've done that. I've, you know, I spent three years working with all the experts out there, like obsessively, as you know, Gray. Yeah. Um, and we've got all the balls and straws and marbles and all that kind of thing. We've worked it all out to lay it all out. So all that hard work's been done. Because it's too much when you're teaching in a day. You can't then pick everything out and you want an easy place to go where you don't feel someone's going to have a go at you for getting it wrong. And so that's kind of what I've tried to do. And not the traditional teacher training way, because let's face it, it's boring being insetted. So, you know, there's, I think the teacher profession has lots of different ways it can go. CPD needs to change and, and, and kind of look at where we are. But all we're talking about is being nice and respectful of others. I mean, Can I just say, yeah, I, I was just about to say, in summary, don't be a dick is, is just that classic. Well, that is my motto. That is what I live by, but, but, but don't it, be a dick. But it's so, yeah. it's so true, Nick, isn't it? It's like, you know, you take something like flexible work and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm in a school, lots of lots of people around that age, you know, who happen to start a family and so on. And, you know, one of our assistant head roles is a job share of two assistant heads that have had, had children in the last few years. And I just wish people would understand how it's not at all a negative thing. In fact, it's like it gives back tenfold. Like in my head, it's like the <laughs> it's like the two for what? Like I've got two incredible people that complement each other. Who I remember talking to Emma Turner about this with her first co headship, mm. and she was talking about these these strengths with complementing skills who work so hard, you know, and give so much back to the school. It's it's never a negative, you know, and it's not really that difficult to think, well, obviously I can't meet them on that day because they're not in the building. Like, get over, like, we can work around that. It's That's it. I think we do an awful lot. I saw um, an advert the other day and it was all about, well, well done, you can do it by yourself. Well done, you do it. And they were saying it to kids, why don't you do it by yourself? And then you get older and you realise you need more help. You need a kind of collective thing. And actually in schools, we do a lot as teaching staff. So it's quite isolating mm. and you know we feel a bit lonely. You know, you can have all day where you're just with the kids and a, a TA and you don't really see anyone else. And, you know, you do that sort of 3.30 at someone. It's like, oh, someone else I could talk to. But actually, we're not very good at collaborating. We're not very good at leaning on each other and sharing as adults. Mm. And, and I think that's something we could do more with the kids. We, we, you know, we all talk about teamwork and problem solving. But, but actually, you know, I'm so much more productive now yeah. because I've got the kids because my time frame's so small and I power it. So you get like megawatt Nick on like an hour <laughs> when, I, when I've got my time. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I'm not, you know, mincing about doing coffee breaks and all that. I don't have time for that. No. So you get really productive. And if you look out there at these people who are trailblazing, flexible working, like Emma, who's in the collective, um, you do see 
that they're super, super productive people. And oh, why, why would we want to lose them from the profession? Like, it's crazy. Absolutely. And, and actually, you know, we want people to stay in teaching through all the ebbs and flows of their mm-hmm. life. We want them in there for the lifetime if they're great. And so why can't we be kind? Teaching used to be the best family-friendly profession. It's the worst. You know, if you've got kids, you can never go and see their events and things when you're a teacher. It's no. rubbish. So let's change it. Let's make it mm. a cool profession that people want to be in. Well, and it's leaders understanding, isn't it, that people give back tenfold for, for that appreciation, mm. that respect you show them. It's not why we do it. We don't do it for payback elsewhere, but people naturally do because they feel loyal to the organisation okay. and to you and appreciated and respected. And we all know that someone that feels that way is motivated, mm. fired up, wants to come to work. It's, it just seems like such a waste. common sense thing to me. Yeah. And a waste to, to, to just not treat people really well it just seems so so simple um steve i was curious to come back to you actually as a as a colleague who obviously i used to work with and i, I obviously i'm not going to identify anyone but when i came for my job at your school you were already there and i remember waiting for one part of my interview and someone coming and sitting beside me on a wherever i was in an office somewhere and going oh we do need more men in this school, you know, like halfway through the day before I'd even, you know, done anything. And I remember just feeling really, really rubbish because like lovely. Like, Only implied because you're a male. Yeah. Well, yeah, like and, I, and I'm, I'm not at all sort of blinkered to the fact that I know for some people, you know, there's an unconscious bias towards men in, in, in positions. But it just it just made me so sad that that was what was being seen and and mm. and that that was already edging me ahead of someone else before I'd actually proven that I deserved to be or not. And it's kind of like, do you, have you experienced a lot of those kind of things or do you, do you still see those kind of gender issues in the workplace? Um, yeah, I'm hundred percent. And do you know what? I'm thinking back to when I, I did my law degree going on to be a solicitor. And at that time, actually all the hype was that we needed more women in law yeah. because there's an imbalance. And there was, there's a, you know, you, you have to look at the judicial system. You've got all the judges who are full of all these silver-haired men. Um, so we definitely need an imbalance. But then you then you feel like, oh, are you going to be up against the struggle? But that thought bubble that you're having has been existing for ages on the other side of the fence. And then you, you kind of, yeah, you've got to acknowledge it and then think you would never want this. So when going into primary teaching, a, when you're a male, sometimes they think, I mean, I know from people around me, they're like, you're going into primary teaching, you're a male. You should, that's where the secondary t- teachers go. Is that right? And you think, no. Um, perception again, so warped, it's unbelievable. Um, but no, I do understand what you're saying, Russ, because as being one of the males who was at the school when you joined, there was this then perception from others that we're the two male teachers, we're in key stage two, you're naturally going to be the leaders of the mm-hmm. school. Like leadership ladder is going to be quicker for you because you're a male. So it's all about overcoming these perceptions and educating and just showing the worth and value of people is what gets you there. Not, not the um, masculinity or femininity of anyone. It is not that. And so I think that's the pathway that we've been on for ages, but, but Russ, you're going to know, because um, you were there as well. The wrong was that people thought the head at the time, wanted a males at the top of the ladder right and it wasn't that yeah perception's a big thing isn't it and that comes back to i think the point nick was making about 
like the clarity with staff mm. about what opportunities are there and 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 being really straight and 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 not just even with leadership positions things like going through yeah. pay scale progressions and stuff you know is that open is mm-hmm. that is that is that transparent what what people can do and... that's it that's it so again so in the app when we ask organizations and staff we ask the organizations that they've got it and then we ask the staff do you know that what's there and and in our one that we're launching in september we've brought in gender equality but also um we've got all the characteristics obviously sorry we've got gender pay gap but we've also got if there's a race pay gap as well mm-hmm. so it's starting to open it out and I, I completely get what you're saying so in secondary that there would be a lot more males and to go in and i was you know, I was NQT plus one and a head of department. I mean, you know, in my early 20s, which was just nuts. And I kept like, oh, I haven't got, you know, I'm not grey yet. Why <laughs> 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 should we yeah. doing this? <laughs> silly, silly, silly old Nick. Yeah, there are those things. But I think also there's lots of other things. So everyone's kind of going through something. Everyone will be going through mm-hmm. family stuff one way or another, or they'll have their background where they don't think they're quite right or they fit in or... And actually, if you think you look around the staff room, and probably most people have all those thoughts going on at the same time. I shouldn't really be here, you know, all that kind of imposter syndrome. It's normal, it's natural. And I think it's it's about having those conversations as as a community and understand it. So as a staff, looking at ourselves, do we represent our catchment area? Do we represent our, our students? You know, do we have a good mixture of girls and boy teachers, you know, for our girls and boys? and non-binary as well are we really kind of mm. representing and, and 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 helping those kids engage with the education because that is really what it is all about and us then being as as adults as productive as we can be at different parts of our life and and that is a responsibility of a leadership team to drive that and and, and challenge themselves with those questions and it doesn't mean right, we need to get a black person, we need a woman, you know, we need we need a disabled person to make sure we've got our, you know, our United Nations and our rainbow coloured logo and all that kind of stuff. But it means about starting those conversations and planning where you want to be, speaking to those those experts in that area and, and, and working out where your blind spots are and what you can do better. And, and that takes time and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Being willing to learn. So let's talk about the app. Go on, give it a big plug because I think it's awesome what you're doing there. You know, how can people who are listening to you like, I like this stuff. How can I get... How can I get a piece of this pie? What do they do? Well, it's really easy. So you go to the GEC.org and you go where it says app and you can jump in. And so what we've done is we've created a digital platform and we've brought all the amazing people from the collective in, like Graham, like Emma Turner, like Jazz, like all the amazing people. And they are all working together with us. We started off as a grassroots movement. I think that's that's important to say. And so we're doing it all ourselves. So I'm doing this. I've got three kids. Uh, I was a teacher. I've done a lot of teacher training. So the idea is making this accessible and easy. This is not about drinking cocktails in the Maldives, unfortunately. This is about looking around and not finding anyone else who was doing it and just thinking someone needs to move the chairs around in the hall. I'm going to have to do it again, aren't I? So it's that kind of thing. So for state schools, 150 quid. For the whole year, our uh, corporates uh, sponsor the education side. That's why it was just a little registration fee. And it is built for you to work out where you are. If you, Where you are, either you've not really got an equality policy or you've got the best one in the world. Where you are as an organisation, see what your staff say 
and the inbuilt training hub. Um, and on the 2nd of September, our new version rolls out. The teacher training hub looks like Netflix. It is the coolest teacher training hub you will <laughs> ever see in your life. The results and everything is all there. You can advance filter by all the demographics so you can exactly see your gaps and we guide you through so you know you are doing diversity inclusion best. It is the world's first app for diversity inclusion for businesses and for schools and we would really love your support. So have a little look. I'll do a demo if anyone wants it. And yeah, come on board. We've got massive trusts, local authorities, individual schools and it's early years through to post-16. So I'm, you know, I'm a teacher. Come and support me and um, have a little look and hopefully we can help you. Awesome. Bravo. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Well, if you have enjoyed this episode, like every other episode, we hope you've enjoyed, you are going to just take just a precious 30 seconds to go and leave a, a lovely review or a five star rating because it does help other people to come along and enjoy the podcast too. What a lovely episode for our 50th episode of Don't Shoot the Dirties. Thank you so much for keeping us company, Nick and, and Gray. And we're, we're really proud to do this podcast and to amplify voices of brilliant people like you. So thank you so much for for joining us. Brilliant. Absolutely honest. Thank you. It's been brilliant. Don't shoot the deputy.